Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're continuing our exploration of The Hunger Games, reading through chapters 5 and 6. Why don't you give us a recap about what happens in these chapters? So, chapter 5 starts out with Katniss in the Remake Center getting poked and prodded and de-haired exactly and then Cinna comes in who is her stylist and talks with her a bit about what he's intending for her and and Peta's outfits they go into the opening ceremonies and they are a huge hit because Cinna wanted to do something different and actually he lit them on fire and everyone in the capital just went wild for it Then we head back to the training center where they're staying and they're having a meal, having dinner, and Katniss, this is the first time she comes across what is called A-boxes, a sort of servant-slave position for people who've had their tongues cut out. And she recognizes this one girl and then Peta smoothly covers for her. And later, she tells him on on the rooftop how she recognized this girl that years before she had seen running from the capital. And the chapter ends with, you know, her appreciating his kindness, but also being suspect of his kindness, as per usual. Yeah, a a recurring trend. (laughs) Yes. So why don't we get into the chapters? What striking moments hit you this time one of the the interesting ones that came up for me was when Katniss explains how they're going to ride their chariot from the remake center to the training center and she describes it as their home slash prison until (laughs) the games start and I thought for one that was just a a great way of doing it but the phrasing of it also really struck me this time because it kind of made me think about her as a narrator Because Katniss is not like a a Harry Potter who doesn't know anything about the magical world type narrator. She's someone who understands most of the elements of the Hunger Games. She Mm -hmm. understands already what is going to happen at the training center. So she can explain to the audience what these things mean. Um, And for the most part, she does know them. Uh, I think the first time we see her not know something is for Avoxes. What is an Avox? But other than that, yeah, I was just struck with how Katniss is not an ignorant narrator. She's someone who's knowledgeable about this, and that knowledge comes from her being forced to watch the games and the importance put on the games by the Capitol, even for her as someone in District 12 who, you know, never would have expected or hoped or or wanted to be in the games. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just makes me think again about Yeah, her as a narrator, being first person, just, yeah, the the interaction between ourselves as readers and her as a narrator and the wider story, which I can enjoy that kind of analysis at times of just kind of being like, oh, this is an interesting or new way of doing that. Because I think a lot of times characters are put into situations that they're unfamiliar with as a way of adding mystery in these other kinds of elements. and, And that's not really what they're doing here. Yeah, that's that's a good point and makes me think of how she's 16, yet she's very aware of how different things work mm. and how different things are oppressing her or seeing through 
the facade of nice things uh, when it comes to the capital or even how people from the capital would treat her even if they're maybe acting kind she's like oh so they're dressing me up so that they can watch me die Mm -hmm. you know and she's just very aware of those things which is i think indicative in some ways of how overt everything is in panem that there's certain things that they do try to hide Mm -hmm. so for example in one of the earlier chapters they had mentioned starvation was never an official cause of death it's it's always something else on the books that they they put down so there's certain things that the capital is trying to cover up but there's other things that are just so over in how things operate that you don't have to be the best educated you don't have to be very old you don't have to have a ton of experience to very clearly see it which i think is a contrast with our society Mm -hmm. where i I think there's a lot more nefarious things going on that rule all of our lives but they just take more digging to get there or it takes education to get there or it takes different uh, progressing levels of awareness to really understand yeah because our societies try to hide it. <laughs> totally. And I mean, I think the capital does as well. I think most capital citizens don't see the Hunger Games as this awful, oppressive event. Mm-hmm. But she's someone who's experiencing that. Yeah. And that experience means that, yeah, for her, it's obvious. It's clear and unarguable. Yeah. And I guess oftentimes some of the most depressed people in our society also, it's like, well, yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's similar in that way, yeah. Yeah. What about you? What what moment struck you? Something that I just never really thought about before is when they were talking about the fire and the costumes for Katniss and Peeta. And Sina's just like, yeah, it's just a little synthetic fire portion I came up with. And I'm just like, wait, are they geniuses? <laughs> How are they so good at design? and fabrics and materials and everything but then can also do these scientific things so um that was just interesting and and struck me yeah or that is the technology progressed to such an extent that the skills and tools needed to make that aren't difficult Mm -hmm. or or, are within reach of someone who's not a genius or do these stylists have like a team of people at their disposal Mm -hmm. to figure these things out So they come up with the idea of what they want and then they're like, go execute it, you know? Yeah. Another thing that did kind of strike me with this read-through, even though I I like and I appreciate Senna, certainly, it was was interesting to me to, to read some of his sentences like, we must seem despicable to you, but using the word seem instead of be, we must be despicable to you. And... He said it's customary to reflect the flavor of the district and is, is, is saying flavor. Obviously, it's showing where he's coming from and the way he kind of thinks about things as, as an artist. But is that kind of diminishing some of what they go through? If it, is it kind of making them into a caricature in a different way, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. Th- those were just, like, some things that were coming to me, but that I also appreciate being there because, one, he probably hasn't interacted with many, if any, people from the district mm-hmm. up until this point. And, two, 
he comes from his own position of privilege, even though he is doing things differently than some of his colleagues would be. Yeah. Like, clearly he has a much better awareness than a lot of other people do because he even says, we must seem despicable to you. Um, but maybe that there's a little bit of wisdom there too because it's not just black and white in that way, you know, that even people in the capital who are exploiting people and get their resources and enjoyment of life and luxury and everything off of the exploitation of people in the districts that's not all they are you know so yeah i thought it added a little bit more nuance to his character than i had seen previously yeah i was actually really struck by his next line which Mm -hmm. is no matter and then he goes into talking about it and Mm -hmm. and it's also at the turn of a page Mm -hmm. so when i was reading it i i literally turned back and i was like wait what is this transition again like is there really nothing more than him saying we must seem despicable and then just saying no matter and continuing on like and that made me think yeah is he diminishing that in a way is he aware that it's unsafe to say these kinds of things i mean i'm sure he's aware of that at the very least totally but yeah it it just it, it was another thing that uh struck me because i do think of cinna so much based off of all the things that happen with him in the story and here thinking about meeting him once again and Mm -hmm. and what it's like for Katniss to meet him once again is definitely an interesting dynamic. You know, in the same realm, Katniss notes how she has no shame or embarrassment about her body being naked in front of the prep team because they're just so outlandish. She doesn't really see them as human. Mm -hmm. And then Cinna is when she starts feeling subconscious again. That's when she feels vulnerable. And it's, I think, because she's for the first time meeting someone from the capital who she's seeing i guess not the first time because we talked about effie she had that too but she's having a much more i think personal connection with him even you know right off the bat well and his look is so different Mm. he he doesn't have all of the fanfare around him it's like he's dressed in black with a little bit of gold eyeliner and that's it Oh, that's funny because I, I took you to mean the way he's looking at her is so different. I mean, I think it goes both ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. She says, all of the different expectations that I had for him, he's not meeting any of them. Yeah. He's a different flavor of person. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, should we move into from another point of view where we look from the point of view of someone else in the story other than Katniss? Sure. Yeah, one that that came to mind for me, you you kind of talked about a little bit in your recap where Katniss is constantly wondering where Peta's kindness kind of comes in Mm. and and all of that. And at the end of chapter five, after their kind of jubilation of how well their debut went, they're flirting and they're, they're chatting and he says that she looks great and she kisses him on the cheek. But in her monologue, we hear her say that she kisses him right on the bruise, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and again, trying to, yeah, be friendly, be, be, play this character kind of. And thinking about that from Peta's perspective, (laughs) he's not doing that. I don't think that he's, he's contemplating actual, I, I think he is just kind. And here he is just happy to flirt with Katniss. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he means what he says when he calls her striking, that all the eyes were on her. And I wonder 
what he's thinking when he gets that kiss on the cheek from her. <laughs> but then it's like, ow. Yeah. <laughs> I was on and my bruise. Does PETA think she must not have remembered or she must not have thought about it or... Or she's intentionally doing this. <laughs> <laughs> does PETA know that she is intentionally doing that? It's it's just, I think, a, an interesting <laughs> way of looking at that because it is such a, a playful moment both between them and also in Katniss's strategizing, mm-hmm. um, where so much of her strategizing is really dark and kind of cutthroat. And here, there's a tinge of that, but it is, I think, more playful, um, even in the way that it's described. You know, she gives him a kiss on the cheek right on his bruise. It's just like, <laughs> so such good writing. Um, but in some ways, that almost, I think, distracted me from the first few times I read through this mm-hmm. from, oh, yeah, what what is PETA actually experiencing in this moment? Totally, yeah. The other perspective that that I kind of saw and and try to place myself in was the person who threw the rose that she catches. Mm. Because again, we 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 don't get a lot of actual time with these capital spectators. Yeah, and they are absolutely participating in something that is awful and despicable. But yeah, thinking about what it would mean for someone to throw a rose at this person who is coming out in such a larger-than-life way, on fire, well made up, and everyone around you is cheering on them, and then she catches your rose and kisses back in your direction. I can imagine it being a real intense kind of connection that you feel with that person that is absolutely one-sided, but is still powerful. You know, I've been to concerts and, and things like that back when that was safe. You know, I, I never felt Took like off I... off your underwear, <laughs> threw it at someone. I did not do that. Uh, not that call. skilled uh, to take <laughs> off my underwear while I'm typically scary. wearing jeans. Yeah. <laughs> but I have, like, wanted to be closer to the stage. I have wanted to be in a space that... And, and wanted them to, to walk near me or whatever it might be. Not that that actually affects my enjoyment or, or my connection or anything like that. It just feels that way sometimes. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that it made me think a little bit more about what that experience would be like. Yeah, absolutely. And anytime people are fans of something and then the author or the actor or whoever comes out, if they had the chance to get an autograph or give them something or, you know, whatever, it, it can often have... I would assume some sort of elation. But it's interesting that it it happens so quickly because if they had just come out in minors' outfits, would the same thing have happened? Yes, she did volunteer, which has made an impact. Mm -hmm. But without that sensational outfit, I don't know. Yeah. It's like instant fandom, you know? Totally. Yeah. What, What about you? What perspectives were you looking at it from? So I was thinking about Effie's experiences here because it said that she can't seal the deal with sponsors, Mm. only Hamish could. And she was telling Katniss and Peeta that she was talking them all up to everyone that she met trying to help win sponsors. And I was just thinking, is that even her job? Mm. I think that that's Hamish's job uh, from, from what I understand. And so I think she's trying to fill in this gap that Hamish throughout the years has created mm. because of his alcoholism and his not wanting to invest 
emotionally, you know, into these kids that are going to die. And so, yeah, I was just kind of thinking about the frustration that she probably would have built up over years at just having to deal with this time and time again. Um, I mean, yes, it is not an important thing in the scheme of the world of Panem, but for her personally, you know, she can't get where she wants to be in her career because her male so-called colleague in this just won't do his job. Yeah. How, yeah, that just must be really frustrating for her and, like, trying to stay upbeat, you know, even though she, she it's not like she's treating them great. It's not like she has great perspective. She doesn't. And she is excited that finally there are two tributes who might be able to get support from sponsors. But the fact that she is stepping in, she is helping them in that way. And maybe it's mainly to help herself. But yeah, I was just thinking about how frustrating it would be to like see someone not doing their job, but then you're not exactly allowed to do their job. You can do parts mm-hmm. of it, but you can't do the part that really matters, which is like actually getting the support from them and then choosing what happens in the arena, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, what she's supposed to be an escort, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's just like administrative. It is just, yeah. yeah that... Making sure everyone's on time, <laughs> making sure they don't run away. Yeah. <laughs> but then that also reminds me of how they only have one mentor. They only have Hamish because District 12 mm-hmm. hasn't had other victors that yeah. are still alive. And so... Maybe a district that has two mentors could have a divided responsibilities where mm. one of them is doing kind of this this more social talking up and the other does more of what Hamish is with the strategizing and, and things like that. Yeah, that is an interesting question. Do both tributes each get one mentor, you know, or would they work together? I, I don't know. Yeah, I imagine they have some ability to, to choose, but I think that uh, for Effie, I can also imagine her being frustrated that she's in a district that is not fully staffed, mm-hmm. that she has to take on more responsibilities because they don't have a person there in this job. You know, it makes me think about, yeah, when, when people in actual work have to take on extra responsibilities because it's just an understaffed position and yeah. how those kinds of things just lead to greater exploitation and greater inequalities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is making me have a little bit of sympathy for Hamish. Though. I mean, I, I always kind of have sympathy for Hamish, but yeah. in the sense of other mentors, if they had someone else they were working with, at least they could commiserate when the tributes die rather than it's all on you that you can't share the burdens you can't share the responsibilities you can't share the grief exactly and it's not like you can share those things with effie Mm -hmm. (laughs) or probably even with sinner or portia yeah yeah I'm, i'm glad that we're doing this little section because i think it's interesting to think about just other people and what they're going through yeah as as we go through the books same but why don't we move into our touch points? What do you see in these couple of chapters that correspond to something in our own world? I think the main one that came to my mind is the access to utilities, mm-hmm. um, which we've touched on a little bit before, but I really, really th- started thinking about it more here. Katniss talks about how electricity is only guaranteed in District 12 when the Hunger Games are on or there's an important announcement. And here in the capital, they can get anything at any time. They've got 
an overabundance of electricity that thing would never go out. And that reliability of those utilities, I think, is a really important and oftentimes unobserved element in poverty Mm -hmm. and privilege because there are basic things that are not given to everyone equally that make it so that it is can be much much more difficult to live a life in poverty because you just don't have access to the same basic utilities or or things that other people have one example that comes to my mind is in the united states we do not have a public banking system Um, Mm -hmm. like other countries have. And so you have to create a bank account. But if you don't have the resources needed to create a bank account, say a social security card or a driver's license license, or enough income, then you have to instead go to a credit cashing business, which is going to take at least 10% off of every Mm -hmm. check that you make. Unlike a bank account, which gives you interest for having money in there. And so... This lack of what is considered a utility in other countries. When I was living in Japan, I banked through the post office. But here just isn't. It means that, yeah, there's going to be unequal access to those kinds of things. Looking at electricity, if you're in school, you're not going to be able to study as easily all times of day. Um, Look at Wi-Fi right now with the pandemic and Mm -hmm. unequal access to distance education. But yeah, the the electricity in, you know, how people prepare food or, or... do labor or all sorts of other kinds of things, you know, things are just so, so readily different. And I think that's especially poignant thinking about how District 12 is the coal mining district. They're the district (laughs) that creates the energy resource. And it just is another example of how areas that and, and communities that are exploited for resources, including labor, but also natural resources and other kinds of resources, they don't see the fruits of that labor. They don't get access to the things they're actually mining or farming or manufacturing or what have you. you know, the, the, the sweatshops that are creating Nike shoes are not, those people who are working in those are not wearing Nikes. Right, yeah. So yeah, I, I think that, that it's a really just kind of a throwaway line in a lot of really interesting lines in these chapters about those the disparities between the capital and the districts. But this one really kind of got my, my head thinking about the way that, that, yeah, utilities and resources are provided and used and oftentimes inaccessible and how that can just exacerbate these inequalities. Yeah, such an important point and such an important aspect of our world. Mm-hmm. Um, If any of you are upset hearing this, I know for certain, because I put it on my wish list, (laughs) or you can donate money for a refugee family to get a solar-powered lamp Mm. through UNHCR, the UN Refugee Organization, so that kids can do schoolwork or can do different things even when they're living in tents once the sun goes down. Yeah, that's great. What touch points did you have? Yeah, so I was thinking about after Effie was telling Katniss and Peter how she was talking them up and, and trying to get sponsors for them and whatnot. She was saying how you've both successfully struggled to overcome the barbarism of your district. <laughs> I know. Such a good and terrible line, which is a lot of the Hunger Games. Yeah. And Katniss is thinking barbarism. That's ironic coming from a woman helping to prepare us for slaughter. Mm-hmm. And 
absolutely correct, Katniss. That is what is happening, and it's atrocious. And that was making me think about how, I mean, so many things to me come back to imperialism and colonization and how so often there is this supposed justification for invading and occupying other people's land and space and home. And so often it is, oh, well, they're barbaric, they're savages, they're uncivilized, like we need to come in and help them be better, whatever it is, you know, obviously, throughout the Americas, a lot of it wasn't just act in certain ways, but be Christian and, you know, these different things. And depending on what empire is doing this or what people are doing this, they have different justifications. But oftentimes that there is this similar thread of we are superior, they are inferior, they are not worthy to manage these resources, so we're going to do it for them, Mm -hmm. obviously for our benefit. And it is so ironic because by doing that, by invading, by occupying, they are being the barbaric ones. I mean, barbaric is a tough word because of the history of it and everything and where it comes from. But they're saying they're superior, but by doing these things, they're opposite of that. Yeah, I I read this great book by, I forget his first name, but the last name is Karuka, uh, called Empire's Tracks. And it was all about how the railroad was a important element of colonialism and mm. settler colonialism. And Karuka has a, a specific theory that he puts forward kind of relating to the Marxist idea that history is formed by modes of production and how those change over time, leading to different forms of class warfare and different forms of relationships between people. But Karuka says that instead of it being modes of production, modes of the way that labor is used, it's modes of relationship in regards to colonialism, Mm. where the relationship to the land is changed, the relationship to the environment, to the resources is changed by these things coming, these new ideas coming in, typically capitalism coming in. And so, yeah, it's looking at land at, that is being cultivated and used by bison and by a you know a huge amount of waterfowl and, and beavers or, or whatever it might be uh, as well as the people who live there and seeing look at all of this land that could be farmed it's just being wasted exactly <laughs> that then turns it into something that is only done as a cash crop it is not sustainable the land gets Mm -hmm. destroyed very easily there's no sense of biodiversity so lots of other kinds of things get get destroyed completely ruins the ecosystem yeah and the people who have those original relationships can no longer live in those areas Mm -hmm. the way that they used to live because those resources are gone yeah but progress (laughs) (laughs) exactly is uh it ties back to the utilities discussion. I'm sure Effie sees the fact that they don't have electricity as an example of how they're quote unquote barbaric. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not their choice. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're part of a much larger system. Absolutely, yeah. Fascinating. Well, why don't we go into some wonderments? What are you wondering about chewing on from these chapters? One kind of small question I had was, why did Sinna show Peter the Roof? Um, yeah, I was wondering about that too. Like, what is their relationship? Mm-hmm. And it's the relationship I want to see. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then also, you know, 
is this because Katniss was like just hiding in her room and Peta was like trying to get to know people and you know probably is the case well and you know maybe Sin is like well if one of them makes it out of these games and then has to come back as a mentor it's good that they know where people can safely talk that's true yeah I can mm. I can totally see that too or maybe Sina just has an appreciation for beauty and he thought mm. that Peta might have that too. Uh, yeah, I, that, that was kind of a small one that came up for me. But I oh, think... That's cute. I just want that conversation. Where's the fanfic? Right. <laughs> but I think the one that, that I'll really be kind of mulling over as we go through the series is uh, about relationships with animals. They mention how these extremely well-trained horses pull the chariots. Mm-hmm. And it made me start thinking about how animals are used in Panem. Because animals can be used for so many different things. For labor, as pack animals, for eating, which they clearly do in Panem. Although I can imagine them having some kind of synthetic meat as well, but I can also imagine them just eating the meat. You know, <laughs> They don't really care about people suffering or things suffering in, in the capital, so exactly. I don't know that they would care about <laughs> plant-based diets. <laughs> yeah. But there's also sports, there's aesthetics, which I think these these trained horses here are being used for. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a society that most of the non-human species that we see are mutations, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, yeah, how animals as we know them um, exist or do they exist? You know, I'm sure that they've all been genetically modified in some way. I'm sure a lot have been killed off, right? Exactly. In nuclear war, climate change, and all of that. Yeah. So yeah, just something that, that I think I might, um, even thinking about what Katniss knows about animals um, outside of those who are the ones that she hunted, um, I think will be interesting. Yeah, that was an interesting thing to me too. Thinking about Katniss and Peta looking at those horses mm. and like, guessing that they are better fed and better housed than they are in district 12 absolutely yeah 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 now what else are you wondering about so i was kind of wondering about internalized beauty standards Hmm. for katniss because there's a description of delhi cartwright delhi cartwright is the person that Peta says oh this is who this a box is reminding you of right and they'd look absolutely nothing alike. It was just him saving her in a tense situation that could have been who even knows what. We're not really sure. Yeah. And in the physical description that is going on in Katniss's head, it is something about a lumpy girl. (laughs) And there were some other other descriptive words in there as well that is just really not flattering and is yeah a a bit disparaging i mean she does say that she's just nice to everyone like she's just a kind person and so nobody would not like her so it's not like she's buying her yeah she's not like intentionally dissing her or anything it's just like these are the things that she picks up on and and then we know katniss's opinion of herself is that she's not attractive And so I'm just kind of wondering if the Capitol's ideas of beauty have permeated Katniss's perspectives against her will because she thinks things are ridiculous in the Capitol and exploitative and horrible and she judges Capitol people for that as people are starving to death and everything like that. And beauty is not something that she is concerned with. She's concerned Mm -hmm. with not starving to death and... 
having enough food to put on the table. Yeah, her, but... her braid is her most well-known feature because it's utilitarian. It keeps mm-hmm. it out of her face when she's hunting. Yeah. And so it's not something that she cares about, yet I'm just kind of wondering if it's still how she sees the world mm. because this is what's put in front of you on a screen. And, you know, I know that they've done different studies and there was even a sociological study done with an island, I think it was an island in the Pacific, that after the introduction of televisions to that island, girls started having eating disorders and that was just never there previously in that people group's experience. And so... Yeah, if it's it's a study I'm thinking of, their typical standard of beauty beforehand was a what we would consider a heavy woman or, or girl. And they're, yeah, completely flipped just through television mm-hmm. being introduced. So, yeah, I'm just kind of wondering if Katniss has had these ideas permeate her mind and her conception of beauty and, and any other aspects of reality, even though she wouldn't want it to. Absolutely, yeah. As a lot of us would, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It's not something I think that she engages with much, but I did remember when she noted that she definitely saw Cinna as attractive. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, what what is attractive and what isn't is obviously, you know, subjective and cultural, but she has cultural influences that maybe are very, very subconscious and maybe against what she would want them to be, but still, can still exist there. Yeah, Yeah. totally. I mean, just like you and I can be very aware of these different things in our society, but that doesn't mean it completely changes how we see things. Exactly. So before we close out the episode, we actually wanted to add a quick section into our usual discussions on these chapters for intentions, something that we are kind of taking from the chapters that we read and want to internalize or want to apply to our lives in a specific way or just yeah something small we're taking away so this week what is yours yeah i think mine is being grateful of and aware of the privacy that i have Hmm. that katniss just doesn't have um when she's in district 12 she lives in a tiny home with her mother and sister. They all share a room. You know. How are you an introvert there? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and then even in the capital, she has this huge room. She says it's bigger than her entire home in District 12, but she has no privacy there. She's always assuming that she's being watched mm-hmm. and uh, monitored. And yeah, I, I certainly am an introvert and sometimes during the pandemic, it's like, oh, I'm in this apartment Ugh, all the time. Why am I with Brittany again? That's not it. <laughs> it's more like a physical space kind of thing. Mm. But the fact that I have, that we have this apartment does mean that we have a good deal of privacy where we can be alone. We can shut the door from each other. You know, we can do all sorts of kinds of things that Katniss just doesn't have. Sure. Maybe Apple's spying on us. Oh, almost certainly Apple's <laughs> but... spying on us. But yes, exactly. Um, So yeah, just that that kind of awareness and and gratitude for that, I think, is my intention moving forward. What's Mm. yours? So mine is coming from when Katniss was eating a meal and just thinking about what it would take to make that meal in District 12. 
And I really appreciated, you were talking about before, you know, just this kind of sideline about electricity that there's just so much there. But in this case, I really appreciated that she actually walked through mm-hmm. all of the elements of the meal to really kind of ground us in understanding how much goes into this. And her conclusion, Candace's conclusion, was that like it would take days of hunting and gathering for this one meal that would even still be a poor substitution for what this is. So yeah, I think my intention is just like, we do have that privilege here in the United States, particularly where I live. Yeah. Not everybody in the United States has that privilege, but still, if you're able to get to a grocery store, that is where you get your food. You're not hunting and gathering it yourself. And so, yeah, just really thinking, trying to maybe over the next week as I'm eating meals, I actually did that this morning, like trying to like take note of the different ingredients that have gone into this. Yeah, just having gratitude for the flavors and the foods and the interesting meals that I can have here and how much goes into that that I never touch. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that, you know, earlier today we had some vegan gluten-free mac and cheese. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when this connects into dietary requirements um, and people's health, there's an added level of privilege there too, where... Yeah, if you are someone who is gluten intolerant, but you work in a wheat field, you know, as a <laughs> farmer, then what are you going to do? But yeah, that's uh, that's really, really such a, a powerful moment, I think, uh, from these chapters. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that's going to wrap up this week's episode. What's happening next on The Hunger Games? So next week, we are going to be talking about chapters seven and eight seeing how Katniss murders an apple. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description, or you can join us at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines to become a supporter of the podcast and get access to all sorts of extra content, including lots and lots of stuff that we're doing as like a book club for our read through these books. Yeah, we love having extra discussions with you all on there. Yeah, so if you want access to trivia games, group discussions, mini episodes, even live Zoom meetings talking about the Hunger Games, join us at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines and become a supporter. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor-Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or search for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.